I think Ethiopia is interesting. The government has recently drafted simplified licensing scheme for mini-grid development. So licensing is not only for generation, but also for distribution and retail. And then the proposal suggests one single licensing for the entire value chain, for including generation, distribution, and retailing. Um, the licensing simplifications I think it's very important for the uh, developers and also the investors because usually acquiring the license uh, takes quite a long time, which will reflect the cost of development of the project. It is still draft stage, but if this is actually implemented, I think it's a progress for the mini-grid sector. That was Takehiro Kawahara of Bloomberg New Energy Finance discussing one of the developments in the energy access sector we should be watching in 2021. And this is the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host, William Brent. Takahiro is a senior associate at BNEF's Frontier Power Team, where he covers decentralized renewable energy technologies for unreliable and off-grid areas, including microgrid, standalone systems, and small-scale solar for rural communities, as well as CNI customers. Take was also a lead author of the first global mini-grid market report in 2020. As part of our annual Trends Watch, we talked with Taki about market movers for the sector for 2021. As you heard, besides streamlining approvals for mini-grids, Take also spotlights other trends, including the diversification of business models beyond energy, Nigeria, and much more. And now, on to our conversation. Welcome, Take. Thank you. It's great to have you here. BNEF is a very reputable organization and it was great to see you guys jumping into the energy access space uh, in recent years. So with that in mind, I'm, I'm curious, you know, that we do a, a trends outlook every January of, of every year. And we're, we're interested as some of the leading experts uh, on this topic, what BNEF or you in, in, on behalf of BNEF have in have identified as, as key trends to look out for uh, in 2021. So would love to hear your thoughts. Sure. Um, I think the first thing is um, in the energy, energy access space, um, the big change in the last couple of years is the engagement by large corporates. I think that we're gonna, see, we're gonna probably see more uh, in 2021. So large corporates are referred to basically have three different type of companies. So one is the European utilities, um, and the second is European oil measures, and the third is Japanese trading houses and investors. Um, so originally um, in the energy access sector, especially for um, pay-as-you-go solar companies and the CNI solar and most of mini grids, um, these companies participated in the energy access space as strategic investors. Um, for example, um, the, the Japanese trading house called Mitsui Ko, um, they have invested in the, the mini-grid company in India um, a couple of years ago. And since then, uh, different uh, trading houses participated as investors. Uh, one example is uh, Mitsubishi uh, Corporation has invested about uh, 50 million US dollars in D-Box, which is a, one of the uh, well-known uh, pay-as-you-go solar company uh, based in the UK. And also, uh, as probably many people are aware, um, European utilities such as Engie, Total, 
and also oil majors such as Shell, they have engaged in the sector as investors. As we see more their engagement, um, I think that their uh, presence has become much uh, bigger now, especially in the African continent and also some countries in Asia. Um, and then we can also see a bit more diversification of their strategies. Um, I think the major uh, strategic points, major strategic position of those companies are still as strategic investors, um, which is, is it, they basically look for um, startups working for energy access and they invest or they acquire some control stake. I think that some companies are more inclined to uh, be engaged in, be influential to the management of those energy access companies uh, by acquiring a stake. For example, uh, recently, he, uh, NG acquired a control stake of, um, of course, so a company called Simpa Networks in India. Sumitomo Corporation has acquired 50% uh, stake together with Shell of Pargen, uh, which is a mini grid companies. Uh, this is a very interesting trend. Um, and also important for energy access companies to have more financial support from those companies. But and, um, I think the diversification, the reason why I said diversification of the strategic position is because they are not only just investing, but also they are actually involving in the sector as main player. Um, I think the probably the very good example is NG, which is um, French uh, energy company. So they, they earlier, about seven or eight years ago, they participated in the energy access space uh, by developing some mini grids in Tanzania uh, by a NG Park owner. And then since then, they acquired um, off-grid solar company, Phoenix International, and uh, Mobizo. And then a couple of months ago, they, they have launched um, the new a new entity uh, within NG, which is uh, NG Energy Access. And then now they are trying to offer more comprehensive energy access uh, services to off-grid communities who have different type of, different level of demands. Not only just electricity, but also uh, NG Energy Access is trying to provide uh, other utility services beyond electricity, such as uh, gas for clean cooking, and also the internet and also purified water by partnering with um, other companies. So those are interesting uh, trend and then hopefully we can see more diversification of the businesses and then also that could add benefits for the uh, rural communities in Sub-Saharan Africa also in Asia. Taki, so let me let me ask you a question here uh, on on that point. So yeah, for sure, there we've seen a lot of more, a lot more activity on the part of the corporates taking a more strategic role in this sector. But all of the companies that you've mentioned that they've acquired, if I'm not mistaken, have, were were started by non-locals, right? So there, it was Europeans or North Americans who went into India or Tanzania or other markets and, and created these companies that they've then been able to exit from, or at least partially exit from. Do you see at any point in the next you know, year or more 
these strategics looking for more indigenous companies to acquire as well. I mean, I think there's there's a growing call for more support of local companies around this this issue of energy access. And certainly there's some interesting companies that are starting to emerge that are, are you know, startups founded by Africans for uh, Africa or Indians for India. And I'm wondering, do you expect that to uh, increase or, or start to emerge as a trend moving forward? Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, point. Um, I don't I don't see uh, that trend yet, although there are a couple of examples that um, the Indonesian energy access companies has acquired um, a similar company. Uh, for example, I think the one example is uh, um, the PowerGen, the mini grid company has acquired uh, refugee power from the um, energy access uh, startup within uh, RWE earlier. Uh, but beyond that, um, I think the most of the trends, the major main main trends of the energy access company, even though they are ex- well experienced or established, um, I think this still the main strategy is main main approach is to working together with other partners or getting financing from the public financiers or private financiers. I think it's still probably too early to see this company is uh, becoming growing by acquiring others at this moment. But enough, of course, uh, in a few years' time, there could there could be a possibility that uh, we can see the industry consolidation because there are a lot of uh, similar businesses are happening, especially in the pay-as-you-go solar space. Yeah, interesting. So do you, do you see consolidation accelerating as well as greater diversification from the, the corporates? I think so. Eventually, yes. Um, there are numerous number of um, of grid solar company, including Pay As You Go Solar, um, and then as the revenue per customer is uh, small, so the scaling is very important. Not only one geography, but also in different geographies. So eventually, um, I think we will see some of the established company will, will continue their businesses more while other uh, competitors may may experience uh, existing from the market or being acquired from uh, these established companies. So one, one reason I can say that is because um, the financing for energy access company is more concentrating in the limited number of companies now compared to, let's say, two years or three years ago. Yeah, I think I saw a statistic from Gogla that, that said 70% of the capital raised this year uh, in the energy access space went to three companies. So clearly there's, there's consolidation that's happening. But it'll be interesting because this is a regulated industry, industry highly political. And I think there's a, a growing desire on the part of many national governments to see uh, local companies start to emerge as well, not just being um, serviced by by foreign companies. So I think that's a dynamic that maybe we want to pay attention to. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's, that's your first uh, bet is on, you know, greater involvement, greater diversification, more consolidation being spawned by uh, the energy corporates. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the second interesting thing is um, more dynamics in the CNI solar space. So we, BNF, 
has written a report about solar for commercial and industrial customers in Sub-Saharan Africa um, with responsibility, which is the impact investor base in uh, Switzerland. And then the report was published in early 2019. Um, since then, um, I think there are more market expansion and diversification of customers. So two years ago, we focused on three African countries, which are Kenya, Nigeria, and Ghana, because uh, while we have seen emergence of off-grid solar business, um, we didn't see much uh, expansion of the on-site solar for commercial industrial, industrial customers at that time, but it was starting to uh, mature. For example, the manufacturing companies and the horticulture companies in Kenya were considering, or some of them have installed on-site solar in order to cut their energy costs, at the same time to access to reliable electricity. And the consumers are more becoming aware of the benefit of using on-site solar um, to have uh, cheaper electricity, at the same time reliable electricity access. Um, I think two years are, I mean, we have, since then, uh, there are two years has been passed. Um, what we have seen is um, there are more different customers are starting to use on-site solar. For example, mines and telecommunication uh, towers and also the ag agriculture sector. And then a couple of, in couple of interesting examples of business are emerging in this sector. It's not only just on-site uh, solar for uh, commercial and industrial space, but also the pay-as-you-go solar for commercial and industrial, especially commercial side. Um, one example I would raise is um, the washer is it's a Japanese startup uh, that provides LED light bulbs via solar kiosks in Tanzania. So washer has uh, work, ha has been working with uh, one of the uh, big air conditioning manufacturer based in Japan called Daikin. So they have established a joint venture called Baridi Baridi, which, is actually, which actually means cold cold in Swahili. And then what they are going to provide is um, air conditioning systems uh, on a pay-as-you-go solar basis to commercial customers in East Africa, eventually in other African countries I think the air conditioning system is usually expensive if you pay, if you have to pay upfront costs. But uh, if the customers can pay one $1.2 to $1.5 per day to use air, air conditioning, and then the electricity is originally from solar, um, the customers can just customers can use air conditioning at the uh, cheaper cost. And then the Daikin systems is it's more expensive than other competitors from Korea or China. But their advantage is um, energy efficiency and uh, durability of the air conditioning systems. So, but, so this is one example for the, the uh, energy service uh, for commercial customers using the solar. And also, I think the one, one thing that we should not forget is about uh, on-site solar for healthcare facilities, especially this is related to the COVID-19. Um, I think there are about more than um, 98,000 healthcare facilities in Sub-Saharan Africa as documented basis. And only 28% of these facilities have access to reliable electricity. And electricity is crucial for healthcare, as you imagine, for 
range of testing and also X-ray diagnosis. And I think the COVID-19 has revealed that how access to reliable electricity is critical for healthcare facilities. And then it is possible that some of the governments may prioritize using clean energy for healthcare facilities to access to reliable electricity. One example, we have seen already the example in Nigeria, with Nigeria's rural electrification agency um, has implemented several solar hybrid systems at the um, healthcare facilities in, in the country. They are planning to build solar hybrids to electrify uh, up to 400 healthcare facilities in Nigeria. I would, I would not be surprised if other governments uh, will do the similar thing. Uh, of course, some governments probably need support from uh, international aid agencies or development banks because of the because of responding to um, healthcare crisis at the moment. And then one more, on, another in interesting example is that and the off-grid solar company Ignite Power, they have uh, launched a new service to provide what's called e-healthcare. Uh, which is to uh, provide um, healthcare, uh, healthcare systems uh, using solar power uh, to medical care facilities so that these facilities staff can use the blood testing and also x-ray diagnosis by using the reliable electricity from solar, uh, which is a good sign. We hope to see more of these kind of trends in 2021. Very interesting. Okay, so just to summarize quickly on the number two, uh, that we're going to see uh, more applications that, for commercial and industrial, including uh, energy as a service models, such as air conditioning, but also energy as a service for healthcare uh, and potentially other areas, both commercial and social. Would that, is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Good. And do you have uh, one or two more uh, look into your crystal ball predictions for us? Yeah, I think we should definitely pay attention to Nigeria. Uh, so why I say Nigeria is, of course, it's a uh, it's a most populous country in sub-Saharan Africa. But uh, I think the in terms of energy access space, uh, they are probably at the uh, forefront uh, side. Um, especially in terms of the policy implementations. Um, so the Nigerian government has implemented uh, two different uh, results-based financing programs. One is the performance-based grant, and also the other is minimum subsidy tender for solar hybrid mini grids. And then that has a, that has a lot of a, a attraction of the attentions from investors and mini grid developers. I think it. Part of the reason is um, the country has a robust regulations already, uh, including um, clear uh, grid arrival rules to isolated mini grid. Not only just solar hybrid mini grid side, um, so the government has recently announced rolling out of rolling out of solar home systems to 25 million uh, people under a program called Solar Power Niger. And uh, this uh, solar home system pro uh, providing is partially supported by the World Bank, which is subsidizing uh, retail costs at 20%. So at the both mini grid side and uh, solar home system side, uh, we expect to see uh, more about market uh, expansions in Nigeria, which is hopefully a good sign for the 
job creations at the same time for peer-to-peer -peer. So the companies and many developers who are aiming at Nigerian market. And then what I hope is that other governments will learn um, what happens in Nigeria and then replicate um, the policy and uh, market model if it works well. Or even if that doesn't work well, hopefully the world, especially in African government, the policymakers learn and then make their regulations better for their FCC access market. Taki, so besides, for sure, Nigeria is, is, a, is a critical market and, you know, we should be following it very closely. What, what other, what, just, just to follow up on that question, what other countries would you say you expect to see some interesting things coming from, if you have any thoughts on that? I think Ethiopia is interesting. The government has recently drafted a simplified licensing scheme for mini-grid development. So licensing is not only for generation, but also for distribution and retail. And then the proposal suggests one single licensing for the entire value chain, including generation, distribution, and retailing. Um, the licensing simplifications I think is very important for the uh, developers and also the investors because usually acquiring a license uh, takes quite a long time, which will reflect to the cost of development of mini projects. It is still draft stage, but if this is actually implemented, I think it's a progress of the mini sector. Yeah, so I, I have one last question for you, and then I'll let you go. But so, it, and it's on the question of countries, and and you, you we've been talking about countries that that you know are models for other countries to to look at. But I you I have to also mention that you know we've seen Tanzania and the government there taking a pretty dim view of uh, decentralized renewables of late. We've seen the utility in Kenya starting to make noises about you know the the role of these types of solutions as it relates to the utilities. Do you see there also being potentially some sort of uh, greater blowback uh, against these types of solutions that are private sector led, that are decentralized? Yeah, that, that's a very good question, actually. Um, yes, um, I think you raise a very good example. It's Tanzania. So as many energy access colleagues are aware, Tanzania is um, the country that um, solar hybrid mini grids market started um, earlier than other countries. However, I think under the current government administration, I think there is a little bit uh, pushback against um, decentralized renew uh, renewable energy space. Um, so Tanzania is known as a country that has a robust regulations, at least on a paper basis. And uh, one example is the grid arrival rule. So when the main grid arrives, the isolated mini grids, um, the mini grid, there is a rule that how much tariffs that uh, the state utility pays to the mini grid developers. And then, then their regulator, EURA, is uh, quite aware of this regulation in its work. However, I think the problem challenge is that um, the current government um, it's more prioritizing in the grid extensions and more fossil fuel or large hydro generations rather than disinterest energy. And um, we have heard a few cases that um, this tariff negotiation under the grid arrival rule isn't working very well uh, between the state utility and the uh, mini-grid developers. For example, state utility 
utility sometimes want to uh, reduce tariffs below the tariffs that are written in the uh, regulation. And then that makes anxiety for the mini grid developers at the moment in the country. Um, we haven't seen the sign that it's going to change in the immediate uh, future, but that it's the country is one good example that actually um, making anxiety for the sector. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether countries in Africa look at uh, towards Nigeria and Ethiopia or whether they look to Tanzania for, um, you know, a sign of their future. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. One, I, I lied. I have one other question that's country related. We've talked a lot about Africa. What about Asia? Do you see do you see anything interesting there that uh, that get, get that you sort of expect to emerge in 2021? Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting actually Asia. Um, so I raised two two countries. So one is Myanmar, and then the other is the Philippines. So Myanmar has attracted um, some mini grid developers to the countries. So one one interesting com company called uh, Yuma Micropower which is the subsidiary of a Singapore-based company called Yoma Strategy. Um, they have installed 250 off-grid mini grids using telecommunication towers as anchor client, which is kind of similar to the model that OMC Power Base in India has done before. Um, the Myanmar is a country that has a lower electrification rate compared to other Southeast Asian, Southeast Asian countries. Um, we, but we have seen some progress of installing sort of hybrid mini grids in the countries. The other is the Philippines. So especially in terms of policy side. So the Philippines has um, thousands of islands, small islands, and then many remote small islands are not connected to the main grid. Although on the national electrification rate is over 90%. In order to reach, in order to provide electricity access to remote island communities, decentralized energy technology is critical because um, building uh, transmission grids from the main islands, such as uh, um, Luzon to remote islands, is prohibitively expensive. Um, and then what is happening in the political side is the polit uh, one of the politicians, actually, he's quite uh, active to build a new uh, law to promote renewable energy-based uh, mini-grids or micro-grids uh, to provide clean electricity access to remote communities. Um, it was drafted about one year ago. Um, it's not very clear in terms of the timeline because I think that they need to uh, discuss and also negotiate within the government and also amongst the politicians. Um, but the, traditionally, um, in the remote islands where has excessive access, they use a diesel or heavy fuel oil, or many islands don't have excessive access. But basically, this policy is trying to change the regulations so that um, the, the, if the policy is implemented, the government uh, will disclose information in which locations mini grid development will be required, uh, and then what are the tariffs for the solar hybrid renewable energy based my, my mini grids. Uh, in summary, this policy 
can add more transparency for the mini-grid developers and also investors if it's implemented. So it's interesting to watch how it happens. Great, Take. Well, I think uh, we'll have to reconnect a year from now and go back over your uh, predictions for the year and see how we did. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can see whether what is wrong, what is right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, well, good. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll be sure to look out for uh, any reports that you have coming out. Can you remind our listeners how to find out more about the um, frontier energy practice that you lead? People can access to bnf.com. Um, there are some public reports already available, including a recent mini-grid report. We worked with uh, Sustainable Energy for All. And many other reports are actually a subscription basis, so uh, users need to read. Um, they need to have a user account. But there are, there are other reports and data are available on the bnf.com, uh, not only for the energy access sector, but also the other um, energy industries. Great. All right, Take. Well, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. A reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, powerfar.org, as well as our platform for energy access knowledge, which we refer to as PEAK. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and other updates. And if you feel like making a tax-deductible contribution to Power for All, you can do so from our homepage. Speak with you soon on the next episode of Power for All.